couple weeks ago, the U.S. Park Service put out this warning to anybody who would enter some of their parks in the southwest United States. I won't read the whole warning to you, but the, the line that stood out was a plea in which the Park Service said, please stop licking the psychedelic toads. Reports were coming in, I guess, that people were entering Southwest U.S. parks and hunting down, trying to find this guy. This is the Southwest Sonoran Desert Toad, also known as the Colorado River Toad. This toad is quite unique in that it secretes a toxin on its back and behind its eyes that also works as a hallucinogenic. And people apparently, because, you know, people, were hunting down this toad in order to have a taste. It's a little bit dangerous to do so. I'm not condoning such action. But when you lick the Sonoran Desert Toad, there is a hallucinogenic property in it, a chemical named Bufotin, Bufotin, that produces all kinds of crazy euphoria, but also can be dangerous. Dogs that put this toad in their mouth end up usually dying. So the U.S. Park Service was giving new meaning to our theme for the day. You are what you eat. And you are. You really are. Bryson, you are icy if you keep eating, right? You can become icy. You can become all the things that we eat. It is a truth. It's more than just a, a good down-home wisdom or an old wives' tale. We really become what we eat, and it turns out most of us are corn, right? Or after this weekend, most of us are turning into, for me, it would be my mom's jalapeno stuffing. I've got a lot of that right here right now. Or for you, it might be that you're turning a little orange, not because you got a spray tan, because all the pumpkin pie you ate. When I was a kid, I would turn into whipped cream because I would get a piece of pumpkin pie and then cover it with so much whipped cream you could not see the piece of pie. But we really are what we ate. You guys remember back in 2004, this guy, right? Morgan Spurlock, the documentarian. He spent 30 days making this documentary. Of course, the documentary took longer, but it was an experiment. The documentary called Super Size Me, in which he challenged his own self, and many of you have seen this, to go to McDonald's for 30 days in a row to see if you really are what you eat. And he ate three meals a day at McDonald's, and if they asked him at any time during the meal if he wanted to supersize it, back when you could supersize it, he had to say yes. And during for those 30 days, Morgan Spurlock really became what he ate. In 30 days, he gained 25 pounds, almost a pound a day. His cholesterol and triglycerides didn't get better, I promise. They shot through the roof. He had heart palpitations. He found himself being lethargic for some reason. He had mood swings that his wife began to complain about. He became exactly what he ate, a potato, and couldn't do much. So when we come to Psalm 34, and this idea that's not just scientific, or not just good down-home wisdom of you are what you eat, 
Psalm 34 takes us into a truth about God that connects with the idea of we are what we eat. Psalm 34, 1-18, which you've heard today, is a scripture that is giving us a wisdom that encourages us to go and taste and feast on what is best. To seek and look for the Lord. When we are brokenhearted, when we are alone, when we are in good times and when we are in bad, to go and seek the best of God. And I want to focus in on this middle section of the psalm. Verses 8-10 through where David, the psalmist, will again say, and please read it with me this time as we hear these words. Psalm 34, 8-10. Read it with me. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in Him. Fear the Lord, you His holy people. For those who fear Him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Psalm is beautiful. If you were paying attention to the young man and the guys who read it, it's full of verbs and actions. It's a song of praise, but it's also a song of a heart of David saying, I want to go after God. I want to receive from His hand what is best. The psalm is displaying a heart of seeking and worshiping. And I love that David here uses this phrase twice that he uses also in Psalm 23, the most famous of all psalms, that the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He brings that idea and phrasing up again. That when we taste and see of the Lord's goodness, we realize we don't need anything else. We learn a word that is foreign to myself and many of us. And that word is enough. That in the Lord I have enough. But I want to dig a little bit deeper into this because if you're paying attention and maybe you have your Bible open or maybe you've got version open and you scroll up to the top of verse 1, there's going to be a heading that somebody put in somewhere along the lines some Hebrew scholar or Hebrew scribe put those in there. And this heading that appears before certain psalms tells us a little bit about Psalm 34. That according to tradition, David wrote this psalm as a reflection on or during a time that was very interesting. The NIV that, that I usually spend my time in says that David wrote this psalm when he was pretending to be insane in Gath, before Achish or Abimelech, the king of Gath. Now hang with me for just a second because this is great insight into the psalm in what David is doing. Because this section of David's life takes place in the Bible in 1 Samuel 21. It's a time in King David's life in which David has become famous And he's got this standard and he's got this status that really is out in front of him, but that he hasn't fully accepted yet. He is the anointed king. He has killed Goliath. He has 
fame going before him, but he has not taken the throne. Samuel has already anointed him as king. It is rightfully his by all tradition, and even by heaven above, it has been declared he's the king. But in this season of his life, David is not on a throne. He is on the run because the one who sits on the throne, Saul, is after him, trying to take him, trying to kill him. Because Saul is jealous. There's a song that has gone out about David. It's one that mocks Saul and praises David. I don't know the tune, but the words were, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Speaking of the greatness, you know you've arrived. You know you've hit legendary status when somebody writes a song of it. But in 1 Samuel 21... Instead of David taking what is already his, and in reflecting on this in Psalm 34, he doesn't do what most of us might choose. When he's got the power and he's got the status and he got, has the fame, he doesn't force his way. What he does is totally the opposite. What's so amazing about what he writes in Psalm 34 when we connect to 1 Samuel 21 is that we see David in his early life is not taking up an insurrection. He's taking up a posture of submission. Waiting. Being sustained by God. We see in this time that he doesn't kill Saul, Saul even though he has two great opportunities. He doesn't force his power. He waits. And I want you to see this in 1 Samuel 21. This passage in which he actually acts insane in front of the Philistines. He's here running from Saul in hiding. And he goes to the enemy, the Philistines, to seek refuge. And here's what happens. 1 Samuel 21, 10-13. That day David fled from Saul and went to Achish king of Gath. But the servants of Achish said to him, this guy's pretty famous. Isn't this David? They know he's the king. The king of the land. Isn't he the one that they sing about in their dances? Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, king of Gath. So he pretended to be insane in their presence. And while... He was in their hands. He acted like a madman, making marks on the door of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. What is going on with this? The Philistines, David's enemy, see this guy and they recognize him. They even call him the king. They know something about him that, if you read the text, a lot of people don't know. And then they even know the Saul. Saul has slain his thousands and David's his tens of thousands. But in response, David doesn't take up the mantle of power. Instead, he puts on and feigns insanity. He doesn't seek food and sustenance from the place of faith. It could be look at the passage and you might say, well, he's just working on self-preservation. It does say that he is fearful of Achish, king of Geth. But is that is exactly what he's afraid of? No. 
If you know the context, David here, and in light of the psalm we just read, is not afraid of the king taking his life. He's afraid of the king pushing him to the fame that everybody else is pushing him towards. He's fearful of becoming a person who partakes in the food of his reputation. He could have done that. David at this time has 600 mighty men. He could have said, do you smell what the king is cooking? And he could have gone right in there and taken them out. No problem. 600 men waiting and hiding with him. But he doesn't trust the song of fame or his hype. That is not his food. Instead, he seeks the Lord. Why? Because you are what you do. David shows us here how to taste and see that the Lord is good. And that when we come to the Lord and taste and see of Him, we learn the truth. That when we feast on the Lord, we lack nothing. So each week, church family, we get to come to this table. And there's often different postures we take with it. And I know that we do it weekly so often. It can become just another ritual. It can become something we just go through the motions on. I often have come to this place at the table and have seen it in a probably a place that is ill-advised. I don't know if it's wrong, but I think it's ill-advised. It's seeing something that it's not because I see communion as something I take. And it's not. Just as food is something I receive nourishment from, the table of the Lord is something I get to feast on, but I don't take. I receive as a gift. I receive it. Because I come here not on my own, and I'm not worthy to come to the table. None of us are. But God provides the table and says, Come, taste and see that I am good. Just as we eat a meal and we ate big meals on Thursday and Friday and then again on Saturday and maybe you still have leftovers again today. We don't make those meals nourishing. I eat, but I don't make it healthy. I come to the table and I partake, but I don't make it holy. And I don't make it transformative. I partake, but I don't provide. The Lord is good. So the gift of the supper that we call the Lord's Supper is something to be received. It is something to be seen as a gift. It is something that we have been granted and graced upon us. Because it's here that we get to taste once again. And we get to seek the Lord. And we get to be renewed. And we get to be refocused. And we get to again see that He's enough. So this morning we're going to do something that we've done. It's not new to us. It's a time for us to share in communion. Not in just quiet reflection, but in sharing in speech, and in encouragement, and in story, and in blessing of saying, here's where I've tasted the Lord. Here's where I've seen the Lord. Here's where He is good. Here's what He's doing in me. 
And so we're going to ask y'all to share. I'm going to pray over us. And y'all can take out your communion cup. I've got one somewhere in this pocket. There it is. And we're going to just take some time with each other, with people around you. Circle up. You can stand up if you want to. You can be noisy. It's okay. As long as you are focusing in on what we're here to feast upon today. The world is going to offer us a meal. It's going to offer us a meal in which we want to take. And it's going to offer us something that sounds nourishing. One more thing. We talked about it in Bible class this morning. One little hope out here. Just one more thing to buy. One more thing to get. One more thing to take. But this is the uniquest, most unique place in the world that we get to come here on Sunday mornings and we get to take a body and blood and we get to proclaim to each other that this is the only food I need. This is the only nourishment I need. So I want to encourage you today to speak up. Share a recent time that you received a blessing from God. If you're young, church answers are fine. If you're older and you've been a Christian for a while, please don't just say, before you <laughs> That's a church answer. If it is your family, tell us why. Let's get deeper with each other this morning. Let's share. And then also, as you share, talk about where God is working. If you'd like, and I'd encourage you to do this, pray. Pray over your communion together. I'm going to pray for it, but let's pray together. Designate somebody to pray in your group. Let's pray for communion together. But let's share. Let's let the Lord be seen today. Let's also remind ourselves that when we seek the Lord and He answers us, which He has in all of us, we know He's good. And He's more than enough. So let's pray together. And then I encourage you to share. There'll be a little bit of Acapella music just kind of in the background playing as we share. We're going to go for about 10 minutes. So we'll have enough time for everybody to share with each other. And then we'll offer a song of invitation and we'll take up offering after that. Let's pray. Um, Lord, on, on behalf of the church and, and for myself too, I confess, Lord, that I... I seek a lot of nourishment from bad places. Not because they're inherently bad, but Lord, I, I make them bad because I make them out to be, uh, they're just normal things, and I sometimes make them out to be the ultimate things. And God, I know I'm not alone in that. I confess that I go and I seek nourishment from my soul and at the buffet of life, and it's, it's just full of sugars and carbs and nasty things I don't need. Things like the praise of people or buying that other thing or that next thing that I don't really need. Or I often, God, more than I want to admit, take nourishment from just selfish decisions. And Father, we, we confess that with that heart, Father, we come to your presence, but also the presence of each other, and just ask that you give us a vision of what you have for us. And we come 
to receive from your hand food that lasts forever. The body and blood of Jesus today. God, open our mouths in vulnerability and in sharing and in care for one another. Let us listen to each other. Let us not be afraid to share in you as we share with each other this morning. We love you. As we commune now, may we focus on the body of Christ that is broken and has bled for us, but also on the body of Christ that we share in, that we call church family. And it's in your name we pray. I've never been to it, but it's one of my, I love to hear how it goes. It's just a blessing. I know what God's doing with that. So, love that. Anybody else have anything? Anything you'll pay for us for the book for the Okay. Never get these open. <laughs> Anybody else struggle with that? <laughs> That's the one we poisoned. <laughs> so next question. Where is God working? What's God doing to challenge you? Maybe there's something from Ellie. To challenge you, to change you, to encourage you. What is what do y'all think? That's hard. I struggle with that because I always think I'll, I'll, I don't think about the past. I only think about the future. So. 
What's God doing? Ryan, you got that one? Probably. I don't know. We'll let you think for a minute. <laughs> Probably. I. This is it. I have lost my love for just quiet. Mm-hmm. Used to be a really big discipline in my life, like like 20 minutes of just quiet. And I've been doing a lot of time with the Lord, but not just quiet. And God's really been impressing on me, like, you've been noisy, dude. It's time to get quiet again, you know? Mm-hmm. Time, to, time to get quiet, because that's where He works on me the most. I like to always be doing. And so, that's one area. I might come up with one more, or ten more. God's always doing a lot on me. <laughs> so, that's one area. Bridger, you got anything? truth man it's hard because once it becomes ingrained it's hard to get away from it it's like a warm brownie talk about food negativity tastes like a warm brownie and then it's like it turns into we did a we did a deal in youth group one time where we, we, we didn't really do this but we we talked about how just a little bit of sin in your life can become bad and so we made brownies but we wrapped them and then we put the ingredients in there and the last ingredient was bovine fecal matter. Well, there wasn't really poop in it, but, but everybody ate it. And then we had all the kids get the wrapper out and go, look what you just said. <laughs> and it was very funny because it made the point, like how we often think about, oh man, I just ate this brownie and my life's good because I got all this, all this good stuff, but I'm just doing this one thing that nobody knows about. But you would never eat a brownie with just a little bit of poop in it. You would never eat it, right? But anyway, it was funny. So that's the way negativity works. So, sorry, I just thought of that. That was my old youth ministry days. It was fun. So, yeah. Anybody else have something God's doing in them? Natalie, you got anything? Tough question. Um, confrontation. Just talking to people about what I have issues with. I've gotten better at it, but there are still just those, those things that I just... It's either A, I'm too scared to do it because I don't know what they're going to say, or B, everything else is happening all at once, and I don't have time to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I understand that. Yeah. That's tough. Mm. Somebody want to pray for us? Can we take the cup? Anybody want to get us? Volunteers? Ryan, you want to guess? <laughs> Is that okay? Sure. Sure, you got it. Sure. Okay. Um, Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this wonderful opportunity to talk about just things that God has done for us and what God's doing with us. And um, I pray that we walk into this week 
just feeling great. And yep, yeah, amen. 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 Thank you, guys. Getting a hint of hand sanitizer there. Oh yeah, basically. <laughs> Thank y'all for sharing communion with us. This is pretty cool. I don't get to hear from y'all, so I really enjoy it when I do. I get to hear from these two, but they just grunt and boo. So appreciate you guys. Appreciate what y'all are doing at your schools, too. Keep it up. You never know what God's going to do with that. doing here. I bet everybody's about, about done. Y'all ready to go back to school tomorrow? No. No? <laughs> everybody's been sick. These boys, I asked Colin what time he got out of bed yesterday. 11? Like almost Wow, wow, wow. Um, may have made a little selfish move by spending a little time with teenagers there, but I don't get to do that enough. And hope you got to hear some great things from each other or just got to reflect if you took that time to be quiet in God's presence. Uh, we honor that as well. But we are holy church family. May we always be a place because of what we partake, not only in here, but what we partake this evening and tomorrow and the rest of this week. May we always be a place where people can see in us the goodness of God. We're going to offer an invitation. We're going to, we're going to now sing Psalm 34, so sing it out. And so we're going to offer an invitation. If you need anything, though, we're here to pray for you, lift you up, and be church family. Um, we wanted this morning to be a feast. Uh, we don't, at a table, you don't just get to talk to the Father or nobody else. You talk to the family, too. And so we get to do that because we believe as a church family in vertical and horizontal. We love God and we love each other. And may that love go out to the community. So let's stand together. If you need anything, we're here for you. We love you and we're so thankful for your presence here with us. Answered me and delivered me from the scary sea. I don't know the song. <laughs> Arabia, never be ashamed. Never be ashamed.